You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel is all about encouraging men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to opening up discussions that most men aren't having, but you certainly don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel podcast is produced live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. You can find more information about the Real Men Feel movement at realmenfeel.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. This is a weekly program and your comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in the Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. So glad that everybody is joining us. Uh, I am Apio Hunter, the co-host of Real Men Feel. My wonderful host uh, and uh, good friend Andy Grant is actually not with us this evening. He is turning into a famous actor <laughs> and got a part in a movie and he is out there playing his part and hanging out with the likes of some many A-list actors. So I am with him in spirit, super happy and celebrating, and at the same time, super jealous that he gets to be there. But hey, <laughs> guess what? I get to hang out with a super awesome guy right now myself. There you go. <laughs> and indeed. So thank you so much for everybody for being here. Um, tonight, we are going to be talking about the power of using athletics in character and leadership development with the founder of the Good Athlete Project, Jim Davis. Welcome, Jim. We're so glad that you could be here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, for sure. For sure. So a little bit about background. I was looking at some very interesting, you have a really, really interesting background here. Um, Thank for you. For sure. You've been, uh, <laughs> you've been uh, listening to the podcast for a while, so we're always yeah. happy about that. Um, so you are currently a staff and student wellness coordinator at a high school there in Illinois, where you are. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to being an athlete, you also happen to be an artist, a poet, a writer, so super balanced guy, and you have a master's, well, several degrees. Mm -hmm. The most recent one, I understand, is from Harvard, a master's in human development and psychology with an emphasis mm -hmm. on neuroscience. Yep, and cognitive neuroscience. Cognitive yep. neuroscience. Yep. And you've... It's a passion, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I love, and we'll probably be talking a bit about the, the neuroscience because I've always been fascinated by that. Sure. Even though I tend to be in the woo-woo, you know, from time to time, I also just fascinated with how the human brain fu uh, functions. Absolutely. Um, and you are a studio painting advocate, a football captain. All, I mean, at what, yeah, all, at, at some point at least, yeah, all of the above. <laughs> that is so yeah. awesome. That Thanks. is so awesome. And you've played yeah. arena football in the past too, right? Yeah, so um, I have done kind of all of these things to varying degrees. I, I really do. I'm, it's probably clear already that I really do try to um, chase my passions. Or I should we'll start out with accurate language. I chase the work that I'm willing to do. And it just so happens that the work that I'm wildly passionate about is in both athletics and the arts academia as well but that's to me feels almost like a link they're all on the same level mm -hmm. i really like yeah. that you know we were kind of you know just before we started recording talking about how you definitely do not feel fit that that stereotype of the jock who only focuses yeah. just on sports but there's sure. that balance that passion of for all things all the the entire entirety of the human experience yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so first of all, I hate, I hate, I'm, I am not into stereotypes as silly as that sounds. I just mm -hmm. think it's silly, right? To say like, there's a stereotypical jock. It's the same as saying, uh, you know, all artists are this way or all, all academics are this way or all men are this way to go mm -hmm. with sort of the theme of the podcast. Um, 
yeah, I just, I just don't subscribe to that. Right. I really like the same human part of me that really likes to run around and be, uh, you know, and move and play sports and be with a team and enjoy the outdoors and all those things. The mm -hmm. same human part of me enjoys like sitting down and painting and reading and, and being involved in those things as well. So those things, I'm, I'm very lucky that I've had a super supportive family. Um, and yeah. um, my parents did not tell me I had to focus on one thing. They, they encouraged the same kind of idea, you know, chase, chase the work that you're willing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so those things don't, I get this a lot, actually, this, this kind of novelty of being artist, athlete sort of thing. To me, they right. feel very natural and part of the same, part of the same breath. They don't feel distinct. Yeah. And you know, I really like how, how you mentioned that you really don't like the, the labels, if you will, the, right. the stereotypes, right. you know, I've always kind of felt very passionately the same way. It's like, you know, what, what would the world be like if we didn't have labels, if we didn't have the stereotypes, if we didn't have all of the shoulds, expectations and, mm. and everything else. Um, sure. Yeah. And in fact, it's interesting that you should mention the, the support from your family because mm -hmm. just before the podcast, I started to engage in a conversation with one of our, our past guests, uh, Diva Logan about mm -hmm. you know raising better human beings versus yeah. raising better men or, be, or rather raising better women or whatever just human better human beings and one of the things sure. that we started to talk about was this idea that rather than putting expectations on our children mm -hmm. why not just allow them to explore their passions without you know let them make the choice and help them answer sure. their questions, guide them and so forth, but let hmm. them decide what path is best for them. And it sounds like that sounds like that's exactly what happened with you. You wound up finding uh, the path, best path for you. Yeah. That's funny that you say that uh, because I think there's, I, I agree and I, with hesitancy though, because right? I sure. think, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. You should be able to, you know, don't, don't force someone down a different road or, mm -hmm. you know, one road or another, but uh, there are some parameters Right. And I, and mm -hmm. I look meaning like, um, like my dad would have been very happy if I had played, yeah, I didn't have to play football. I could have done a number of things. Right. right. And he would have been happy as long as I was uh, trying hard and didn't lie, cheat and steal and things like that. So I say that because yes, chase your passion, but not completely untethered. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there are some, some moral staples that we have to abide by, Absolutely. I believe. Um, and work ethic is one of them. And it's funny. Um, if you can get to those core staples, be it moral or behavioral or otherwise, I think they lead to success in any field, right? Yeah. If you show up every day with consistency and passion and, and work toward the thing you're doing, if you show up into the studio and do that or show up onto the field and do that, mm -hmm. you'll likely see a positive outcome. Oh, right? for sure. For sure. In fact, you know, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's the concept of the river that if, it, if there's no channel for it to go, it can just mm -hmm. spread out all over the place and then nothing right. really happens. It doesn't go anywhere. Those yeah. parameters, those guidelines, the channel, if you will, can get totally. you exactly where you're going and flow go yeah. with the flow for sure and then and then within that right within those parameters then flow and if there's a rock you flow around it or over yeah. it or whatever it might be totally we use um one metaphor that i use a lot in, in my work and in my mind just kind of organizing certain thoughts and shifting through sets is um i it's called i call it the anchor and tether model meaning like mm. what anchors me like what is my what is my absolute belief in this area right what mm -hmm. anchors me here and then decide how much uh wiggle room i have that makes right. sense. Um, yeah. Meaning not like, you know, uh, let me try to think of a good example for that. But I think there's all sorts of moral decisions that, that go into that. Well, lying could be one. Do not lie is a fair anchor to have. But there's some tether on that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the classic example would be, um, you know, my, um, <laughs> sometimes there's ta tact, if nothing else, in the truth. Yeah. The truth has to sometimes be tactful, which if that's not like completely accurate, is that a lie or not? You know, so there's a little wiggle room. Exactly. There's a little tether there. But, no, there um, but, sometimes might be omissions, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll tell the whole, it's not like you're in court where you have to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Mm -hmm. It's more like, we'll tell the truth, but parts that you can handle for now. <laughs> sure. And it's a complicated thing. It's complicated. <laughs> but, but with truth as the anchor mm -hmm. um, and, you know, something, you know, um, some sort of moral tether, the length of that varying as you go. I don't know. It's yeah. an interesting metaphor. No, for sure. That. For sure. In fact, yeah. uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't the idea of anchor and tether really rooted in neuroscience? Um, it, it could be. Sure. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Tell me more. Okay. So I've actually heard, you know, I have a good friend of mine who's very much into neuroscience. Every once in a while we talk about things, you know, and, and with, the, with respect to, um, you know, 
building new thoughts or, or, or building new habits, if you will, mm-hmm. using an anchor to. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about that is, is I thought of that idea as soon as we were, you know, when we were talking about stereotypes. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, I think stereotypes in general, especially when they're potentially hateful or dangerous or otherwise, are just on the, on the most basic level, lazy thinking. And on their worst level, you know, hateful and and dangerous. Right. Um, but humans are, you know, the 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 brain is born to categorize, or it born to, it uh, mm-hmm. developed to, designed to categorize. Right. Mm-hmm. We chunk out information. Um, we couldn't possibly process everything in our surroundings nonstop. Um, you know, every time we encounter the surroundings, we have to assume that there's certain properties of the desk that I'm sitting at right now that are constants. And then someone might come into that door around noon when, you know, when uh, one of the employees shows up for work and, and these are like, right. And they don't throw me, right. I don't need to process them newly every time. Right. So we do have this way of, of chunking, right. And it goes back to, and this is sort of a, sort of a lame example, but it's the one everyone um, leans on. It makes the most sense, right? If there is something that is striped and growling coming out of the bushes, you know, you don't wait to figure out that it's a tiger, right? That's like a, like you, you, you react, right? That's exactly. again, the hardwiring of the brain. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's probably, maybe that is a great entry to the anchor and tether idea. Meaning like we, we try to anchor, I guess in that way, I guess in that way, the sentiment would be, I hope we're willing to pick up and move our anchor if we find out we were wrong. Mm, you know, if we, right. can, um, we, we, we might have to reevaluate every now and then. And, and that's, I mean, that's life. That's, you know, being open to being, uh, being open to doing that hard looking and processing, mm-hmm. um, I think is pretty key. Yeah. And kind of like the concept of that channel, you know, going with the flow and so forth. Sometimes if you're anchored too firmly in that channel, you can mm-hmm. also get really, really rough as well. Yep. If you're not allowing yourself to go with the flow. Totally. Man. I'm just, okay. So there's a, I went to my undergraduate, the, the, the first degree before these other ones that we mentioned uh-huh. um, was it was a studio art degree um, with a minor in sports administration. So there's kind of the balance there again, but okay, from, yeah. from one of the best places on earth, Knox college, just a small liberal arts college in, in rural Illinois. I love the place. Um, the, the, one of the Lincoln Douglas debates there, there's a strong Lincoln history. Mm. I say all of that to get to this Lincoln quote. Um, that was a shameless plug for my alma mater. Um, it was, uh, Lincoln said something along the lines of, um, be very, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, be very careful, you know, pick uh, deliberately where you set your feet, then stand firm. Um, meaning like you just the mm-hmm. being deliberate about standing for a cause. I think that makes sense in the context of that, uh, discussion. Yeah. And I think especially with him, you got to be willing, okay, if you pick the wrong cause, then move your freaking feet, you know, and then go move over, be willing to reevaluate, right? Be willing right. to admit that you were wrong, go find the new place, find the right place, uh, and then lock in. Right, right. And, and that seems to be, you know, the path that you've taken so far to get to this point where now your, your passion that you're devoting so much time to yeah. the good athlete project, you know, yeah. to find, find the right spots, you know, follow the path of joy, if you will, mm-hmm. until you get to that, that next passion. So, yeah, I am really curious to hear <laughs> what the path you took, how you wound totally. up starting this and what brought you there. Yeah, for sure. So when I first, I'll give a quick story and then I'll explain the development. But mm-hmm. when I first decided to do this, to, mm-hmm. to essentially bring this thing into the world, um, it was, I think it was January of 2016. Uh, I had just finished finals and I was a little bit stressed out. I don't like to admit that, but I was a little bit stressed out or just come, come back from being stressed out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to set New Year's resolutions necessarily, but I'm going to come up with a list of all the things that matter to me that I'm involved in. And then a, kind of a rubric, a metric of, you know, and then what do those things bring to my life, whether it's financial satisfaction, the ability to be creative, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I had this massive thing because like we've mentioned, I'm involved in a number of things. For example, poetry, something that I will never live without, but it doesn't check the money box for me. You know what I mean? I, you know, creativity and passion and, you know, um, and then I put this, thing like this sort of like twinkle of an idea down the good athlete project something you know to starting my own nonprofit organization that did the work that i thought needed to be done right but that it was the last thing i added and it literally checked every box like just boom 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 all the way down just like the river analogy almost like flowing water boom 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 yeah. checked everything um 
And that's when I was like, I have to do this. It was very clear to me. And I think the reason that it, that it did that, and it, it did that, you know, with so, uh, so few barriers, and at least in the beginning was, it felt like I'd been doing it my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the answer, to answer your question, where did it come from? Um, you know, I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. And I think the development, the stages of this move like this, I was an athlete at one point trying to um, influence, be good for and lead my teammates. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be elected captain of a number of teams along along the way. Uh, I did play a little indoor football, like you mentioned, and then uh, actually went overseas to play in Europe for a little while, played two seasons in Ireland and a year in Spain and had a blast. Absolutely love those guys still. Um, one of them's actually visiting me right now. He's literally in, in the room um, <laughs> as we speak. Uh, so um, that was like sort of stage one, right? That, that was my authentic experience in the space of athletics, um, seeing the good and the bad, you know, seeing all of it in the entire range, where it goes wrong, where it go, can, goes right. Mm-hmm. Then I became a coach. Um, and I was essentially trying to translate my experience to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so translating my experience to people, both in terms of, um, you know, movement, play, et cetera, but also um, approach, mm-hmm. mindset. You know, I was just getting into the mindset stuff. How do you approach a game in a certain way? Anyway, after coaching for a little while, we did something, I'll, one of the things I'm most proud of, you mentioned the, the position I hold right now, it's at a place called Nutri High School, which is a fantastic institution. I'm, I'm super proud to work here. I didn't make it as great as it is, but I'm happy to be kind of on board. Right. Um, one thing that we did do here was we took a program. Well, we made a program. We did not have a strength and conditioning program mm-hmm. um, when I started working here. Um, so when I started, I was lucky enough to be the first strength and conditioning coordinator. I was, it was me in a room with about 80 people. And over the course of six years or so, we grew that program. Uh, we now serve 1,200 students, and we have a part-time staff of eight. Um, and we have a large group of volunteers as well. So people are just – and those 1,200 students, it's all opt-in. There's no attendance being taken. They, they, everyone just wants to be here. So I took part in the creation of that, meaning if we're going to, like, articulate this, I was a player, then I was a coach, and then I was expanding my role as a coach, and at that same time – I had to start training coaches. So coaching coaches to meet the needs of our 1200 students. So these are like, you know, step by step by step. The next level of that was another uh, project I'm involved in the Illinois high school powerlifting association, which is a super unique version of uh, powerlifting in my opinion. Um, It is all team based. Um, It is all co-ed meaning the Illinois high school powerlifting association will not host a meet that is not co-ed. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to change the culture of powerlifting, um, break down the stigma so more people feel welcome to it. Um, we, uh, the four staples of it are character, culture, equity, and service. Um, finance is never a reason for people not to participate. We will waive every single meet fee if necessary, but we want people, young people to be able to take part in what we see as a very clear, uh, clearly fantastic learning platform. Right. And, and I'll, I'll touch on that just for a second. Sure, powerlifting yeah. specifically is like, like I love football. I came to powerlifting from training for football, hmm. but powerlifting is far more clear as a teaching platform, in my opinion, because, um, you know, the ball is not going to bounce strangely in powerlifting. Uh, the weather is not going to pick up at an inopportune moment. There's, hmm. there's the things are very, the, the, the approach is very clear. You show up every day. Um, you work diligently, you use great technique. Once you're done, you take care of your nutrition, you, you know, you sleep well, you take care of your recovery, and then you show up the next day and do it again. And then when it's time to compete, you know, hopefully your coach has done a good job of uh, periodizing a program so that you peak at the right time. And when you peak, you just, or excuse me, when you compete, you just show off all the good work you've done, you know, and all this stuff. I'm, you probably heard of, um, you know, Angela Duckworth and, and, uh, you know, and grit growth mindset. Um, conscientiousness is one of the, like, all the things that in um, the SEL literature and the character development literature, um, all, everything that people suggest will lead to success down the line can be cultivated and taught pretty directly in that space. So, which goes to the point being, mm-hmm. now our goal is now, I, you know, went from player to coach, to coaching coaches, to scaling that model. So we're trying to be, we, you know, we have 1,200 people in-house. We right. are trying to get that all across the state. 
And when we spread it all across the state, we're trying to make sure that it is done in the same or similar ways that we're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. With, with character at the forefront of this thing, with process at the forefront. Um, <clears throat> and then the top tier of that, sort of the, the governing body of all these things, if you will, mm-hmm. would be the Good Athlete Project. Um, and the Good Athlete Project is this, you know, it's an international nonprofit, uh, sports-based nonprofit, but really it's an ed consulting foundation um, focused on outreach. Okay leadership training and uh-huh. research so outreach like we go we will go into places and support people who want support and who want to do what just what we're doing which is maximize athletics as an educational platform gotcha um you know we've been all around our first trip was um went to visit a friend of mine down in haiti he runs a nonprofit called basketball to uplift the youth of haiti we've since been to uh california boston uh you know we're, we're kind of uh, inner city of chicago inner city of boston baltimore um all over the u.s Right. Um, moving soon to um, where are we going? We're down in Brazil, potentially in Singapore, going to Ireland in the not too distant future. We're, we're, we're really just kind of spreading, uh, trying to, again, support anyone who's interested in, in having our support and having right. our help. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, 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 yeah. so, so I'm kind of curious about the idea of, of using athletics because it, it's obviously athletics has been used particularly in the world of, of maleness, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, totally. to, to build character and to talk about you know, not consistency, character, learning you know, good work habits, so look, uh, learning integrity, all those things. But how are you using the Good Athlete Project to break down some of those ideas that sometimes are get entrenched and cause men to yeah. become, I guess, emotionally constipated as, a, as I term it. That's, that's a totally <laughs> fair way to do it. I, you know, honestly, emotional constipation would be not so terrible in some cases, given <laughs> the fact that like the other end of that spectrum is, um, well, the, the correct end of the spectrum is much different, but emotional constipation somewhere on the wrong end of it, the far distant side of the wrong end be, the kind of violent hypermasculinity that that is that that gives sports the stigma that it has, right? Right. Um, I mean that. I mean it's. Let me be very clear. I am still try to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. I love athletics. I am so passionate about the work that we do here every day. Yeah. I, our kids are amazing, and I'm so happy that we have the space to teach them in. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always go this well, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that absolutely fuels me is sports gone wrong i think for a lot of reasons it i mean even right now i'm like i'm like it's like getting under my skin right now just thinking about it thinking of potential i don't want to i don't want to touch on the current political climate but if Mm -hmm. but locker room talk right do does shouldn't look like that Mm -hmm. you know and it doesn't in every situation um, but unfortunately sometimes it does and those are that's what grabs headlines. That's mm-hmm. that's where we need to be doing a lot of work. Sure, sure. You know, um, yeah. on, on that locker room talk thing, uh, how much of it would you say was is a, a more of a generational thing? Not just cultural, mm. but generational? That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know that I can comment on it. Yeah. But I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, I've been in a lot of locker rooms, both as a player and as a coach now. Right. I don't know. I, I would I would be guessing if I said anything, so I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, no. I was curious because but it I'll just occurred that. to me. Yeah, because yeah. you know when when you talk about you know who who we're talking about, right? And, and you know when they say, oh, it's just locker room talk. It, like you, mm-hmm. it's like I've heard. I mean, I'm not as into athletics as you are, but nevertheless, I've been in my own share of locker rooms and you know on teams and so forth. And uh, yeah, you you hear stuff occasionally, but yeah. not to the extent that you're here. And I'm like. Hmm, I wonder if it is how much of that is representative of that particular yeah. generation, and you know, because certainly our generation. I mean, I I'm a Gen X for myself. I'm all, I'm 48, and there were those generational issues, and it seems like all sure. the ones that come have been coming after me seem to have fewer and fewer of those hangups. Although there mm-hmm. still are things which come up that seem to yeah. be just across the board. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm definitely going to do some thinking about that, though. Yeah. But I think what you've mentioned is like, regardless of where it was generally, generationally, uh-huh. I think what we've got is in sports is we've created something with momentum, mm-hmm. meaning uh, you get a group of people together, align their cause, mm-hmm. and there's and something is going to generate momentum. In some cases, it gets people to say things that they wouldn't normally say and certainly wouldn't say to their sister or, you know, anyone, right. any other human being, probably. Um, right. It also, though, has the power to move people to generate momentum in a really positive 
direction yeah. too. And yeah. that's kind of one of the aims of the Good Athlete Project. We want to, we want to get, we want to strip the stigma from the sport so that we can, from sports so that we can use it for the platform that it is. Right. And we also want to get in front of all that stigma inducing behavior. You know what I mean? Like we want right. to make sure that that kind of stuff does not happen. And, and I think we have a kind of refreshing take on it because the people that we have working for us, like we've all played, we are all, all the kind of people where like, we're not, we don't have like a soft approach in any way. And you know, it to athletics, we want to compete hard. We want to train, train hard. We want to do this right way. And we want to make it very clear that being tough does not mean talking tough, degrading women talk, you know, whatever that locker room talk. Like, <laughs> right, those exactly. are two different. Those are two very different things. You can knock somebody over on the field and then, you know, and then go put your arm around a teammate when he's having a bad day. Yeah. Those things don't, those don't have to be separate. Right. Yeah. Um, they're not mutually incompatible. No, they're yeah. not. That's a, it's and going back to the stereotype. That's just a thing that we've taught people. If people are doing it, it's a thing that we've taught people to do yeah. to separate. Like that's what tough looks like. That's, we've, we made that up, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do feel not only am I passionate about my research and, and I feel really lucky in a lot of ways to have the, the opportunities I do, but, it's something that I feel like almost obliged to do, not right. realizing until a little later that this was a unique combination, football, uh -huh. painting. It made me realize even further that it was an artificial divide. I'm not saying everyone has to love football and everyone has to love painting, right. but I'm saying if someone makes the break and separates the two, it feels artificial. They're both just extensions of, of being human. Um, pick and choose what you'd like, but they... Mm -hmm. You know, you know it's, it, yeah, it, it's kind of like something, a subject that we've talked about you know, on, on several different times on, on the show, which is the idea that there's no separation. There's mm -hmm. no separation at all between any human being, between us and the universe or source or whatever it is that you want to you know, look at, at, how you want to look at it or whatever labels that you want to use in order to make sense of things. There's absolutely no separation. And being able to break down those barriers or those ideas of the separation is mm -hmm. what sounds like is definitely one of the stated intentions or one of the maybe perhaps unspoken intentions, rather, sure. of the Good Athlete Project. Right. Yeah. I think it's probably more of an unspoken intention. Yeah. I think, and uh, in, in the reason being, I have studied some East Asian religion, and I and I hear mm -hmm. you, and I'm and I'm and I uh, I do a lot of mindfulness training myself, and, uh -huh. and yeah. uh, but and but and we do with with our athletes. I guess um, another big thing is I want to be very sure that I um, that we use a process. We always do. We call it meeting people in their space, mm. right? And yes. and and not everyone is aligned with that idea. Right. I'm I'm open to it. I think it's a great one. Um, but I am not sure everyone is aligned to. Right. So we want to be sure that we don't explicitly align with any core set of beliefs. And and that's and that's a big part of what we do. So yeah. um, when I, I'm up here on the north side of Chicago, the tactics that we use and um and you know to address and meet our student needs mm -hmm. are different than what's going on even 20 miles south in a different part of yes. Chicago. Um, yeah. or as, but as, and especially three hours from there when we, you get into rural Illinois, and then you're talking about going to California, Boston, or Haiti, and it looks wildly different. So the point is, um, yeah, we got to be open enough to meet people in their space and address, um, you know, the, align as much as possible with their values and things like that direct those values when we feel like maybe they're not totally right you know like yeah. um to roll over your opponent with a truck doesn't seem you know like a good set of it so we try to direct <laughs> something like that but 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 we do want to hear it right, right. If that's authentic if that's what the kind of thing that people are saying it's right place, we want to hear it, so for, for sure for sure and that's yeah. that's you know i'm so glad that you brought that up and and i was i was kind of hoping that would surface at some point with which is you know the id you know this meeting people in their space, but also yeah. some of the challenges. Uh, I've been, I was kind of curious, some of the challenges as you expand internationally, learning the, the cultural norms or the cultural language, or not just the language, but the cultural language as well, in order sure. to be able to meet people where they are and help break down the barriers that exist there and the stereotypes yeah. that may exist in other uh, countries as well. Yeah, yeah, that's the, um it's kind of the work of a lifetime, uh -huh. really, if you think about it like yeah. that. And I, and there's no quick answer, quick fix, but, yeah. but, um, I use a term and it may be lame, but it, I, it's just called accurate looking. Yeah. Right. And you just yeah. have to be will, willing to slow down and look without preconception and look at, you know, literally look at the human beings that you're dealing with and look uh -huh. at and 
take into account um, their values and, and emotions yeah. and, and everything involved. Exactly. Uh, just accurate looking and then build from there. Yeah. In other words, every thought, every value, every idea has value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I also, I wouldn't push to say that, that you, it needs to, that we even need to share the values, right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. it's possible. Yeah. That's, um, I don't agree with everyone on everything, but I'm willing to listen to almost everyone on anything. Right. And, and where we go from there. Um, that's the kind of thing that's, that's malleable. That remains yeah. And that's, that's the type of thing that helps to, you know, break down those barriers and create unity, if you will, right. understanding, connection, and so forth. Yeah, I love that idea of breaking down a barrier. I, um, totally, totally. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting lost <laughs> in thought here. I, but, but that's, that's the big thing, right? The, right. Um, to be willing to have to break down the barrier to conversation, if nothing else is such oh, yeah. a huge thing and that might be generational and i'm going to talk about my parents and if they ever listen to this i hope they don't get mad at me but uh, uh -huh. but like you know to the willingness to engage in conversation whether you disagree or not uh -huh. we talked about like there being some sort of universal connection if you can enter a conversation realizing that both parties or however many parties are involved want the best want want the best possible outcome and are bringing their best to the table then like we have to be willing to have that conversation. I think too often in really important discussions, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, race, religion, culture, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. raising human, you know, young human beings, students, teaching, all of it. Mm -hmm. People, once they hear something that makes them bristle, they either, they either disagree vehemently uh -huh. or break it off. Or, you know, and that might be even right. worse. Break right. it off. No, we're not going to have this conversation. If those are your opinions, then you stand over there. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, and I hate to say it, I think we're moving, we've, we've polarized so many important yeah. conversations and I think that's messed us up a little bit. Indeed, indeed. You know, I, I look at it as kind of almost, uh, you know, not to go too up far, far off a field here, but definitely I think that the, with the advent of, of the 24-hour news cycle and social media, I mean, talk about a perfect storm of being polar, of creating polarizing conversations where mm -hmm. people don't want to hear anything which doesn't reinforce their, their perceptions. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, I, that's being talked about a lot in my social circle. So I, I hope I'm not being like redundant or cliche here. Not at all. But, uh, but that's, I mean, that's, oh my, is there anything so obvious if we're willing to confront it? Like your Facebook feed is a cultivated stream of similar opinions, you know, like it's, uh, it is not a great way to, um, to get to know the people around you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. um, no, it's totally true. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not cultivated. I meant curated. You curated right, yeah. your own. Totally yeah. curated, exactly. In fact, there was a, there, uh, there's a podcast that I enjoy listening to periodically, um, Hidden Brain. You know, one of yep, the totally. NPR ones, and there was a, a, an episode not long ago shot on Facebook about the you know the curated feeds mm. and the stories that we seem to you know get get caught up in that reinforce whatever is going on and then it turns totally. out that when you actually break the mold of, <laughs> of whatever the conversation is suddenly everybody privately starts coming you know coming to you saying oh my god thank you for being so courageous because i've been feeling the same right. thing and i don't i'm afraid of actually you know go you know speaking right. up about it and so forth so right. so um I guess that leads me to another mm -hmm. question, which I have in my mind regarding, you know, this, you know, the, the areas that you focus on through the, the, the good athlete project, um, yeah. obviously, you know, helping people realize their potential, particularly through athletics. Yeah. But you no, know, what are, what other areas do you guys focus on as far as, mm -hmm. you know, being able to break out, break the conversation sure. or, or widen the conversation, if you will. Sure. Yeah. Um, we want to be, we want to be experts in the athletics conversation mm -hmm. and be able to talk about anything, but of those, any, or in, you know, infinite number of things, right. when we do that, we want to bring in other experts. So mm -hmm. like, for example, we want to, um, we want to be able to talk about relationship violence to teams. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on that for a quick second. Right yeah. Um, Actually, a friend of mine that I went to grad school with, Justine, she started something called Relation Shift, and we, we, we've talked, and we're going to hopefully work more and more on creating a curriculum um, to talk about that in an athletic setting. Um, so, like, and, and here's here's why that kind of plays into the conversation that we're having right now. Um, I 
I kind of believe that, uh, or I have faith in whatever way that people are generally not terrible people. Um, and I don't think that someone who makes the decision to play a sport, um, I don't think that makes them worse somehow. Um, I do think there is the potential when you go back to that locker room talk idea, let's mm -hmm. just, let's just call it what it is. If yeah. you are, if there's a conversation of degrading females, hypothetically, and if there is uh, an unhealthy relationship, at least in the conversation, right. And there might be no action behind that. Like it could be just people talking like idiots, mm -hmm. you know, about degrading women and, and sexual conquest and things like that. If that's going on over and over and over again, mm -hmm. that might be, the tipping point and just gonna you can imagine the situation if there is a a human being who at three o'clock some evening after a night of partying mm -hmm. um has has the opportunity to either make a really bad decision or step away right it is possible that you've activated some sort of pre-moral that you know you've just made it regular enough this kind of through this kind of talk over and over and over again that they might make a bad decision now i want to be very clear that i'm not I'm not letting anyone off the hook for anything. I hope sure. that this won't be misinterpreted in, in any way. I'm just saying that I think it's possible that people making those bad decisions um, are influenced in part. Well, I don't think it's possible. They're definitely influenced in part by the cult culture that they are a part of. Mm -hmm. And if that culture is not a positive one, if it's right. leaning in this dangerous direction, then that's a conversation that should be had routinely regularly yeah. by the coaches of those teams it can't be sort of like a under the radar yeah don't do that it should be no this is how you respect everyone but including females and like literally being able to have the talk about sexual violence and relationship violence right. and not shying away from that and i don't know it's, a, yeah. it's just a conversation that needs to be had sure for for sure yeah and and especially coming from people who are respected such as coaches Mm -hmm. You know, and well, oh, if, it's, totally. if it's repeated time and time again. So, so how, how would you encourage a young athlete who doesn't have a coach around but, yeah. and who he is listening to that toxic locker room talk, if you will, yeah. to stand up and speak up and to challenge without necessarily breaking, you know, without necessarily um, being shunned by the rest of the group because yeah. that social cohesion within it, particularly in a team setting, in an athletic setting, is so hmm. critical and so important. That's really, that's so good because that's, that's one of the big questions, really. Um, there's this, this upstander movement, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I believe in it. And I also know the actual dynamics of a locker room. Mm -hmm. And if you are the one voice going against the grain and you are adamant about it, mm -hmm. you might take your, you might be one of the only people willing to do that. And that's noble, but have you taken your own feet from under you in the process? So there's sort of a tact in that, right? That, right. that needs to happen. And uh, actually my old boss taught me this, this kind of metaphor. Uh, I think the key in some of those situations, and it's situation by situation. Some, and there might be some instances where you stand up and say, "You say, I hope I can say the c word." You say, "Cut the crap." You know right. what I mean? Like you stand up and you like put an end to it. Boom. Right. But that mean that would mean that the culture is close enough to being a positive one mm -hmm. that that uh, that bad be that that sort of behavior mm -hmm. stands out, and you can stand up against it, and, and it's no problem. I think when when the culture is already tipped in the direction of unsafe and mm -hmm. and you know bad for lack of a better term. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe one of the things you do is equip people um, with simple strategies and that's just talk to your teammates in a non uh, public setting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because you can, you can have those conversations and I don't want to say convince people, but just align beliefs that be like, Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? What a jerk. You can have those behind the scenes without, right. um, without taking the legs of the people who agree with you out from under you immediately. Right. And again, again, going back to what this guy said, uh, his strategy, my old boss in so many ways was you don't just, you, you can't just jump into the river and push it the other way. We got a lot right. of river metaphors today, by the way. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, um, but essentially, but you know, but you start to turn the stream little by little by little by little until the negative stuff all of a sudden finds itself flowing in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, sometimes there, it does take tact like that. And, mm -hmm. and that's a really tough thing to do, but be, I mean, yeah, you're making me think about a lot of stuff right now <laughs> that, um, but yeah, and, and that's hard to, that strategy is probably difficult for, to ask like a 15-year-old kid to, right. to tackle. But I think it's as difficult, probably less difficult than asking a 15-year-old kid to stand up in front of his peers and say, stop. 
Um, right. Yeah, so it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, 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 tackling it, you know, from obviously group dynamics always going to be super, super powerful, right. and you know that's you know been shown time and again. Yeah. But being able to perhaps have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the teammates or perhaps the ones who are the at the core of generating that or instigating the conversation keeping right. that conversation alive having that one-on-one -on -one, sitting down hey you know what let's have a conversation i want to understand you a little bit better right and i think you know what you're right and i think um and that is something that we can certainly encourage our kids to do but i think it's something that good coaches will absolutely do it's yeah. essentially identifying the fact that there is some sort of social momentum, social hierarchy within even just a single team, isolated to one single team, and, and saying, if, you know, if, if these three people who everyone seems to be looking toward are on the right path, on the right page, the ripple effect of that just might matter. Um, and and that's, that's another thing that we, I think is, is part of the power of the Gaddafi Project and something that everyone um, can and probably should observe is um, – I mean, when the star quarterback walks down the hallway, yeah. whether you like football, regardless of your stance on the whole thing, he is noticed, right? Um, so to acknowledge that social clout that he has, you know, for better, you can either say, well, it's inappropriate, he shouldn't have it. Mm -hmm. Well, he does. So to tap into it deliberately as a coach and make sure that you're addressing the people who have a great effect, who can be essentially catalysts yeah. in the locker room. That's powerful stuff. And then again, to help us have that discussion, mm -hmm. that's when we recruit people like Relationshift and under, uh, you know, the, the yes. experts in the field, yes. right? We want to be able to navigate the discussion. We want them uh, to help us do it super effectively. So do you guys go have like a, a, a formal screening process in place in order to find the right culture uh, coaches who are like a, a fit for the organization and who you don't have to necessarily do a lot of work with, if you will, you train them more about the processes and yep. less about the concepts. Yes. Yes. I would say okay. um, the people, the people that we find the short answer is yes. The uh -huh. people that our advisory board, first of all, is fantastic. They are um, college professors. Many of them, my former professors um, from Harvard. So they've got some name recognition, but also a great deal of expertise. Um, we're lucky to have, uh, the director of sur surgery, the chief of surgery at Johns Hopkins, you know, so we've, we've, we've surround ourselves with people who really know what the heck they're talking about right. um, at the top level. And then we have these incremental levels of, of involvement. And I think what you're asking about really is the people that I have on board with me doing the workshops, get, being with kids. That is two things. I think in the hiring of those people on that level, it is we're looking for people who are passionate, um, capable and trustworthy. Um, and then once we find those people, then we really help them with the language because how yeah. something is framed is super, super important. So I think, the, but that's part of who we hire. So the people sure. we bring in are also open to learning more about themselves, you know, uh, getting better at this every day, myself included. I, people are like, <clears throat> I mean, I hope I'm nowhere near how good I will ultimately be in terms of helping young people in terms of yeah. using the language appropriately i hope we, when people ask about that and where the good athlete project is going i like i hope i can't even see it from where i'm sitting right yeah. i hope that the, the growth is so important and meaningful that it just keeps going mm -hmm. um and, and we'll and we'll keep right along with it mm -hmm. um i should also mention if it's okay if, uh, yeah another thing that we really like to talk about is mental health and i know that aligns with some of the things that you guys have talked about for sure yes um, yeah so uh, that, that's another one. So we talked about like sexual and relationship violence. That's something that needs, it's a discussion that needs to happen in athletics. Uh, I think mental health is one that needs to happen in athletics um, for, for countless reasons. Um, we unfortunately lost a, a close friend, former player and former employee uh, this past summer um, and uh, have aligned with essentially the nonprofit who does grief counseling and, and, uh, awareness on that level now and and part one of the things that we're doing in addition to supporting their cause through fundraisers and you know on the ground type stuff um, we are also hoping to do the same thing partner with them uh, in having that discussion with players uh, the, the basic idea there is um, essentially if you are part of a team mm -hmm. you should never feel like there's no one to talk to right and if that is I mean to the idea that that situation would exist that here's 80 of us all aligned in our cause 
and yeah. we all ostensibly, or, you know, or we all say at least we care about each other, but there's this barrier up between like how much we're allowed to care about each other. So, you know, what kind of conversations we can have. That's the thing that we're trying to get rid of. Right. Um, you know, if, if someone is that, if someone feels, feels part of their, you know, their, the family of the team, um, but doesn't feel comfortable enough going to the coach or to the players right. and they're feeling at those very low, low points when they're at those points, um, then we've mishandled the platform in some way. Right. Right. So, exactly. Or yeah. at the very least fallen short of the ideals, but, underst- but right. understanding and recognizing that there's always room to grow and, and to, right. to learn from, from those experiences for sure. Totally. Yeah, totally. I know. I'm, I, I mean, that just kind of resonated with me on a, on a very deeply personal level, you know, being somebody who's so sociable yet at the same time, having been the loner in the crowd. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and, and I can so see, particularly in an athletic and a team setting where not being able to feeling isolated in such a powerful group dynamic, especially when it's, you know, a positive power group dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to recognize the signs and having that support and so forth is, yeah. So great. totally. Yeah. Right. And again, and all these essentially the good athlete project, if you got to the core of it, is probably mostly about um, professional development and coaching coaches because, yeah. the, I mean, those are the people that will be, we talked about these were catalysts already. Those are the catalysts for greatest amount of change. Those are the people who influence the people who will have some sort of ripple effect on um, the social, you know, the near social situation. Right. Those are the people that once we'll, I mean, we can go in and do a workshop, right? And that's good. Right. That's good for a day. If we can equip um, coaches with, you know, the, not only, you know, the language, but just the desire to keep pushing on these fronts, then, I mean, that could change the entire, um, not, not just team, but program. It can change the athletic department. If you get two or three sports who are, who are starting to adopt these new and refreshing, um, uh-huh. you know, ways of approaching athletics, pretty soon you t- the, the tipping point is the entire athletic department. Now you've got, right. in some cases, 4,000 people. 4,000 people with social clout in a mini environment called a college campus, right? Uh-huh. That, are, that are hopefully changing the way um, the whole thing looks. Yeah. I think it has the potential to be very, very powerful. Yeah, I can, I can certainly understand and appreciate why you're so passionate about that. And, and I love, you know, for, for those who might be listening to the audio, you can't see Jim's face when he just lights up. <laughs> you so light up when you're talking about that. Do I, yeah. the, 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 the effect, that ripple yeah. effect, right. being able to reach the right people who can right. then reach the right people. Totally. Right. And, and I think, and another thing that's kind of fueled me recently, and it might, maybe this is a segue to the concussion conversation is yeah. um, some people calling for the dismantling of, of contact sports is, is one thing. Mm-hmm. And not only is it just probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to put our resources in the, in the anti-sport bucket as far as I'm concerned, but mm-hmm. enhance, put it to put all our resources in the, we got to enhance the sports bucket. It makes total sense because um, I mean, we have a platform, like we said, you, you mentioned the coaches being powerful. I mean, obviously modeling is hugely powerful, but here's a situation. If you forget that it's sports where we've got novelty, where we've got, uh, these group dynamics, social momentum, um, you have potentially enhanced neurological states through all the exercise and movement and, and things going on. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the human brain is wildly receptive in that state, right? Yeah. So what the coach chooses to input during that time is, is massive, not to mention that platform that we just described, that receptive platform is happening for 40 million people, you know, pretty on a pretty much daily basis. Right. So we're not even, we're not inventing the space, right. We're seeing it, trying to to peel back, realizing it, trying to look accurately at what it really is and then change the way that people interact within it. Right. And if so, now we've got 40 million people, you know, we're never going to get, nothing's ever going to be a hundred percent, but right. massive amount of people moving in the right direction. Now we've to use that metaphor again. Now we might've changed the flow of the river and people going against it will stand out. Absolutely. That'd be the hope at least. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that that's great. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's change course a little bit here and talk sure. a, about, about your interest in, in CTE or for those who don't know what that t- st- term stands for, it's chronic traumatic. And ence- it's, I want to, uh, might slaughter this, it. but encephal, uh, encephalopathy. encephalopathy. There yep. we go. Nailed I got it. it. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I always uh, trip over that one. Yeah. I think that is um, my interest in it. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm terrified of it is the short thing. Uh, mm. I also don't think it's the norm. I think it's far from being the norm. Right. Um, so my, my view on that. Um, actually, before can, you, before you yeah. go into that, why sure. don't you explain a little bit more for the layperson what that actually is and, and what, and what causes and what might cause it. Uh, if I understand it's, it's due to rep repetitive traumatic injuries to the brain. Is that right? 100%. Okay. I mean, and, and you pretty much just did it. I okay. am not an expert in CTE. Right. I try to be, um, I try to be, I try to have some level of expertise in concussion. I would say on the concussion spectrum, you know, there's obviously immediate acute brain damage, potentially death. That would be the far end, terrible version of, you know, what a concussion, like a, a blow to the brain. Right. Um, CTE would be maybe more of like an insidious um, damage that grows after experiencing what you just mentioned, mm -hmm. um, the chronic um, uh, trauma to the brain. Yeah. Um, it is also in, in the greater context of the concussion discussion, mm -hmm. I, in, I think pretty far to one end, or at least I hope. Okay. And that might be some people that will hear this, um, will take issue with that, but, but I'd like to explain if that's possible. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think, I think one of, um, if we talk about the concussion discussion, again, I'm, I'm passionate about ac looking accurately. And the right. first thing I want to say is. Um, this, this erupts from the, again, this, this charge to uh, dismantle football. Mm -hmm. That's where this, a lot of this comes from me. Um, first of all, we have to acknowledge that it's not just football that causes concussion. So you ask yourself, do you want your pre to prevent one's child or, or, or a student or someone that you're looking after? Do you want to prevent them from playing football? Or do you want to prevent them from concussions? Mm -hmm. And obviously the answer is concussion. If yes. so, we need to start to look at the mechanisms. Like how, how would one become concussed? Well, number one, the number one um, reason people enter the emergency room for MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury, is mm -hmm. falls. So, I mean, just don't fall, I guess. But like, <laughs> point being, like, it's not just, these aren't just right. like football players. Now, right. I say football because we're in the U.S. Right. If we were in another country, it would be hockey. It would be um, soccer. And you could say, well, soccer is not as dangerous as football. First of all, I agree. I agree with that. But also, heading, uh, the, Eric Nauman is the name of a professor at Purdue mm -hmm. who did a study, who's done a number of studies tracking the impact of uh, soccer players, the impact of head injury in soccer players. Right. Um, he essentially has tracked, I'm trying to think of exactly what it was, put the level of impact on the brain while heading a goal kick mm -hmm. at the level at, at, at the same level as a, like a football tackle at the same or above most football tackles. Obviously it depends how one tackles and whether right. it leads with the head or not. <laughs> For but, sure, um, yeah. but um, I mean, you just don't think of it that way. The frequently uh, as it's, it's as high as number two and, but always in the top five on college campus, campus yeah. in terms of incident is girls soccer in terms of concussions um, per player. You know, but people don't think about that. If you, if meaning, if we wanted to eliminate concussions, we would have to consider eliminating football, hockey, um, martial arts. Mm -hmm. People don't think about equestrian, right? Horseback riding, but, but I mean, people, terrible issues come from that. Sure. Um, gymnastics, where maybe they're less frequent, but when they happen, they're gruesome. Yes. You know, um, all this stuff. Point being, um, we have to think about. The, the entire picture. The other right. thing, just to go back to football for a second, uh, intensity and duration are major contributors to mm -hmm. this con concussion discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, and one way I try to unbraid that discussion when, when it's football specific is I reference um, Alabama, who in this last season was this big and mean and talented. I mean, they had just a dominating defense. In NCAA football, that was kind of the standard right. was Alabama. Yeah. Now, and we, if we look at that, Alabama, um, that is essentially the biggest, strongest, fastest people um, from a high school crop moved on to that level, right? Mm -hmm. um, that impact, you know, the, not only the duration because they play more games and, and the, intensity, the intensity is clearly higher, um, is just different than other levels of football. And then if you go one step further to bring into the CTE discussion, mm -hmm. um, the NFL you know, when draft day comes around, 75% of the Alabama roster will be left at home. So you've got the cream of the crop, the cream of the crop, the cream of the crop mm -hmm. that moves on to the top level. And then they play, who knows, five, 10, 15 more years. Right. Intensity and duration are not even the same ballpark anymore. 
for example, I mentioned last year uh, an article came out um, about dismantling Harvard football. Mm-hmm. Harvard played 10 football games that year. The Patriots played nearly double, right? So not right. only are, you, you know, are, are, are the people bigger, stronger, faster, colliding at different intensities, but they're doing it more often, more regularly. Like you mentioned is the definition of CTE. They're right. doing it more regularly. Uh, so literally, two, it's conceivable that two years of professional football at the NFL level mm-hmm. would be like repeating a four-year college career, if only in terms of number of games played, right? right. If, if you play 40 over the course of um, your, your career at Harvard, you might play um, 38 to 40 in two years with the Patriots if you go on to win, hypothetically. So again, I'm not even making an argument here. I'm just trying to unbraid the discussion so that once we yeah. do, we can look at it in its appropriate ways. Right. It's like saying, I, I would think it's pretty obvious that someone with a 10-year NFL career mm-hmm. would be at higher risk of these things, um, these diseases, which when they go wrong, go tragically wrong. Mm-hmm. But they'd be at a higher risk after a 10-year NFL career than after a high school career or playing at most colleges or whatever right. the case might be. Right. Um, so that is like one of the entries to that and the metaphor we use is like um you know it to say football is bad is kind of lazy thinking again yeah um, and i'm obviously a football advocate but that that'd be like saying uh, you know um is driving a volkswagen around uh the neighborhood the same in terms of risk as driving an car for 200 laps right they're both driving mm-hmm. but intensity and duration has changed massively right, right? so the, the risks are higher in one situation um and I think until we're looking to, we're looking to dive into it, until we're willing to look into it and dive into it and mm-hmm. segment it and look at each specifically, I just don't think we can jump to conclusions. And I have rationale for that too. I think one of them is if we, if we were to jump to conclusions, um, well, let me also say this while I'm on the topic. Um, yeah. There is really convincing and interesting work going on at Boston University in terms of ex- the examination of, of um, deceased athletes and like like i said when it goes wrong it's terrifying i think about it i think about it um in my own case as a former player Mm -hmm. i think about all my uncles and my dad and everyone who's played uh and i also think about the students that i work with you know and and i certainly i would never want to introduce them to harm unnecessarily especially that kind of stuff sprained ankles one thing we're talking about something different but i will say that even in in the even though the numbers in in terms of like uh confirmed cases of CTE on post NFL players, even though the numbers and percentages are really high in the high nineties percent, that's still saying in a certain percentage of the population of people who's at the greatest risk because of intensity and duration and thought they were symptomatic, therefore donated their brains, even among that highly selected population, it's not a hundred percent. So it's not a guarantee. Another way to say like, you were not, we're not determining an outcome just right. by participating in the sport. Um, now, there's all sorts of discussions that can be, is it worth the risk? Is it, you know, all these discussions can be had thereafter, right. but it's only once we acknowledge that and stop saying like, well, football does this, that we can entertain the discussion. I think you have to do that legwork first. Right, absolutely. Um, and it's not like, an, and rather than taking that absolutist view, right. which, you know, can, can, which just, can affect so many levels of society, but mm-hmm. oftentimes in, and especially in athletics, when you have that type of, you know, absolutist thinking, if you will, yep. it, yeah, kind of just get, can go out of control. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I will just say, um, just for sake of interesting anecdote, not science, um, there is a hockey player whose name I'd like to respectfully bring up. His name is Todd Ewan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it's kind of, a, you know, if, if we don't believe that it's, if you don't think the platform is worth looking at accurately and potentially saving for sake of character development and all those things that I believe in, mm-hmm. here's the other end of that spectrum. And Todd Ewan played, I don't remember what it was, played a number of seasons in the NHL mm-hmm. and, um, was and battled with depression. I would imagine his entire life, but I don't know, certainly at the end of it, because ultimately he took his own life. He was 49 years old, ended up taking his own life, something that has become sort of, you know, unfortunately synonymous with some of these old pros. Um, He was 49 years old. He wasn't that old. Um, But he he was convinced, you know, at least in terms of the reports, what the reports are saying, that he had CTE, meaning 
he thought he was battling depression. He was going through these things. He felt alone. And, and because he was so convinced because of the popularization of, you know, the movie concussion and all that stuff, because of the popularization of CTE and these things, I, it, it feels like he didn't think that there was a way out. Yeah. Right. It yeah. wasn't something that he could work through. He's like, I've got this essentially terminal thing. My life is never going to be the same. There's no way out. And sadly he took his own life. CTE can only be diagnosed posthumously. So after, upon autopsy, yeah. after he, the autopsy, they found that Todd did not have CTE. He, he, his brain did not have CTE. Right. So, so even though he did play in the NHL and was his high impact player, it wasn't the, you know, it was essentially, it was depression that killed him and took his life. And my fear is like, mm-hmm. in that situation, again, having dealt with this um, a little closer to home recently, mm-hmm. I'm like, the idea that we have... Um, popularized this idea that that he was screwed for lack of a better term because he right. played this contact sport that certainly did not help um, the situation I don't know I, I, there's there's danger yeah. there too sure, um, sure so point being if I do have an argument in this whole case is I'm not saying play football I'm not saying play hockey and I'm certainly not saying that if you do those things they will absolutely lead to anything right but I'm saying we need to unbraid it and look at it accurately we need to evaluate the risks right. every one of these things is is complex we mm-hmm. probably on on the research side of things we need teams of people evaluating um not only prevention uh limitation recovery all these things what role does nutrition play in the in experiencing concussion yeah. all every bit of it um yeah and this is i could go on about this all day i have a lot of opinions um <sighs> Not as many answers as I'd like, I think. Sure. Um, but but I think that's but I'm comfortable with that. Sure. Uh, because I think we should tread carefully and push for answers, not pretend that we have them. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that the whole thing about opinions, the way I look at it is opinions help to generate questions. And it's the questions that leads to answers. Totally. And, and so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know what, every single opinion, whether or not I agree with it, has validity. Mm-hmm. And I love being challenged. I love having some of my own thoughts, you know, called out on the carpet. And totally. so I can take a, you know, a hard look at them. Right. So, so I love the fact totally. that you have these opinions and, right. you know, passions and so forth, because it opens up the whole discussion and, yeah. you know, broadens the whole, you know, just this, you know, what we're doing here with, you know, on, yeah. on the podcast as well. And that is helping to facilitate the discussion right. about, right. Yeah. Just, and yeah. And, and it's, you're so right. And I'm sorry if I got, um, Oh, it's great. Close there for a minute. I'm but like, so glad you did. Like, yeah. But like, and like I said, I am not, I would never tell someone that you have to play football. I think that, yeah. That's equally silly as telling someone that you shouldn't or can't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I don't know. I'm very open. I don't, right. I, I will say this though. If there were ever some sort of conclusive evidence that said participation in athletics. And like I mentioned, it's not just the contact sports or the ones that we associate directly with this sort of issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were ever some direct relationship I would be at the front lines. My conversation would change, right? And I would say, okay, we've looked at it accurately. We found this is an issue. We need to stop. So that that's straightforward. I'm totally open to that idea. Yeah, I'm totally. I think if it, if it gets there, we'll have to reevaluate and find other places to sort of uh, cultivate the next generation in, in terms of character and things like that. And mm-hmm. and there's plenty of opportunities for that for sure. Mm-hmm. We can find sure. them. We can be creative. Um, but yeah, I'd be at the front of that line. Sure. I just don't think I don't I but I think that line is forming prematurely, I guess is yeah. is my Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, let's jump on this bad wagon, let's formulate this idea and let's just go gung ho and yeah. no, your opinions are wrong. And that's you know, it's it's that whole that's a whole cycle of people talking at each other versus people talking with each other. Mm-hmm. The art of talking with each other seems to have been lost. And yet it happens every single day. If it's in a public yeah. forum, maybe not so much. Right. But yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, keep the discussions open. Keep, you know, talk with, not at. Totally. What an idea, right? I I, I know. (laughs) You're right. And it's funny. It's funny. It's like, um, yeah, it's so obvious, but people so obviously don't do it. Right. I I think you're exactly right. That that reminds me of uh, one of the things that we throw around in the Good Athlete Project a lot is like, do we want to be right or do we want to be successful? 
Um, and part of meaning, like, I think a lot of people do talk at each other. They want to enter a discussion and be right. Like, yeah. look what I know. Like, like you know, and, and force an opinion on someone. Indeed. Success is a lot, is different than that. Absolutely. Success is, success absolutely comes in the form of, I, I hate to hang on this term, but accurate looking, willing, also willingness to compromise. Um, yeah, but we keep talking about conversation. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what it boils down mm. to. And talk about a good conversation. We didn't re- even realize we've hit our hour mark already. And I was like, right. yeah. <laughs> and like, we could go on. <laughs> we yeah. could go on for a long time. So, 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 tell, so since the good man, the good athlete project is a 5013C in mm-hmm. tax terms, um, it is right, a nonprofit right. organization. Right. How can people donate? How can they get in touch with you? How can people volunteer? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's, that was nice of you to bring up even. We are just, we essentially went, uh, we just finished iteration one of the project. And we essentially want to see if we were going to be able to get it up off the ground and do it well. And the decision was made, um, for better or for worse, that I think for better, that we were not going to fundraise a dime. We weren't going to try to raise a dime until we knew it worked, until we were very confident in our product. Um, Long story short, I'm many thousands of dollars in the hole at the moment, uh, but we've just started fundraising. Uh, we actually, and I'm no joke, timing it just is incidental, but uh, tomorrow night we have our first ambassador board meeting, which is like our on the ground sort of, um, you know, young professional troops organizing the fundraisers and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think the easiest way to find us to learn more information about our future fundraisers and things of that nature would be either on Twitter or Instagram uh, at coach for kindness. So it's coach, the number four kindness. Um, those are the, where we're most active. We also have uh, a website, goodathleteproject.com that will be um, after tomorrow's meeting that will soon be revamped. Um, so that'll be kind of cool to look at in the coming months probably, but uh, yeah, social media at coach for kindness. Um, and I, I would definitely encourage people to reach out because as we've said many times, I'm always hungry for the conversation and willing for to sure. share ideas. So for sure. And if they want to volunteer, same thing, get, get hold of you through at coach. Yeah. Or either one of those. I think you could, uh, the email is good athlete project at Gmail. Okay. Um, so reaching out in that way, we're in certain cities around the U S we have certain college chapters, um, for more, I don't know how public those chapters are ready to be quite yet but um we could certainly talk about whether whether there's one near you or if someone can contribute from afar or what those roles might look like nice and we'd be very grateful well jim i so appreciate you being here tonight i have really enjoyed a conversation getting to know you better and i i look forward to, to talking to you again for sure. Yeah, I hope we can do it again. For sure. <laughs> I, have, I have plenty to say. <laughs> awesome. That's so great. All right, man. Well, thanks, thanks again so for much. Having me. For sure. And everybody who's been listening, thanks again for joining us. And and uh, don't forget, realmenfield.org. You can catch us on iTunes. And uh, let's see here. Oh, gosh, my, my mind just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook and iTunes and, and uh, Stitcher and uh, Google Play. So we're, we're, we're all over the place. So feel free to reach out to us. And again, everybody, have a great night. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org, join the Real Men Feel group on Facebook, and share what you thought of this show. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.